If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. EmailToolTester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jonathan Roz Friedman, known as Jan. He's an entrepreneur and repeat founder and technology executive, originally from Israel and now based in the U.S., Jan is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Super Social. On the show today, we talk a little bit about Super Social as a metaverse and developer and publisher of games and experiences on metaverse platforms like Roblox and Fortnite. But we spend a, quite a bit of time talking about what do we not already know about the metaverse and how is it connected to actual human behavior change? We'll talk about interesting examples that he's seen being deployed in the metaverse. We'll talk about how brands and advertisers might think about experimenting and getting in. And what does success look like? What are the strategic KPIs that he's focused on with his clients and games? We'll also talk about the life of an entrepreneur and the journey and the turmoils that come along with it and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jan Roz Friedman. Well, Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. Great to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited about the conversation. We're going to cover a lot of meaty topics. But before we get into the business side of things, 
Um, I hear you grew up in Israel and now you're in Columbus, Ohio. How do those things make sense? Where, how, do you, how does one lead to the other, I guess? Well, it's a great question. I think <laughs> I am an explorer and adventurer. I think that's part of being, for me, being an entrepreneur. I was born and raised, as you've mentioned, in Israel, in the north of Israel. And I think living in Israel, growing up in Israel has been a such a phenomenal experience because Israel, which is now kind of referred to in many cases as the startup nation, is a, a place that really pushed me to want to build, to create through my experiences in childhood and serving in the in the military in Israel, where I worked on multiple different roles within the Ministry of Defense. And I think I just had this innate curiosity about entrepreneurship. And that ultimately led me to move to London about 10 years ago when I started my first real startup company, a company called Kano Computing, where we essentially built the first computer that kids build and code themselves. So think about it like assembling a piece of computer kits, but very much in a Lego-like experience. It's fun, it's color-coded, it's engaging. And then wrapping that with an operating system and coding application that are really focused on empowering young people to create with technology, not just consume. And so that's brought me, that brought me to London. And I lived in London almost five years and I, and I loved every minute of it and greatly enjoyed. And I think there's, in a, in a way, there, there wasn't really, there isn't really any better city than London if you want to, as your first kind of interface with a wider world. It's mm-hmm. multicultural. It's the center of the universe, essentially. Not, not culturally or economically, not in that sense, but literally, like, practically speaking, it's, it's, it's halfway through everywhere to the world, right? You're, you're <laughs> right. in London, you can go to Asia 12 hours, you can go to San Francisco 12 hours, and you're kind of covering those two sides of the of Earth from one location. So mm. it, historically, it became this kind of enclave of culture, multiculturalism. And so being there was a phenomenal first window into the world. And I think once I've been there, it felt like there is no going back for me, at least. Um, And I wanted to continue that journey and then met my wife, moved to New York. So it was very much more of a personal reason, uh, very different from moving to London, which was a entrepreneurial decision. And then from New York, given that my wife is originally from Columbus, with the Mm. arrival of the pandemic in early 2020, we stayed here for quite a while during the first year of COVID and decided that we want to give the Midwest a chance. And, and at early stage of COVID, I started super social already as a, what, what I think of as a remote native company, fully remote, fully distributed. And, and so being in Columbus uh, allowed me to just continue and build the company that I started. And, and, and so here we are. I love it. I love it. And uh, I mean, Columbus is a cool town. Like I, I've only been there like once, but it's, it, it's not a sleepy town. <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, there's a university there as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. One of the largest uh, yes. universities actually in the United States. I think yeah. 60, 60 to 70,000 students. That's obviously, right. biggest college um, sports program in the United States. Yeah. And, and so, and definitely a rising city in the Midwest. There is there's a lot to like for sure. Yeah. No, I, I love college towns in, in particular. But I mean, I, I know the, the city is much bigger than even the college itself, but Interesting. Well, I love I love how that journey, if you will, that you've been on. And uh, congrats on uh, following your wife. That was a smart move. Um, <laughs> Actually, it was my idea to move to Columbus. That's just awesome. To be, just to be completely clear, um, you know, for good or bad. But yes, she's from here and her family's here, which is why we thought of Columbus as kind of a first first option, which, which needless to say, is, is a radical transition from living in places like London and New York. Again, for for 
there's pros and cons, there's advantages and disadvantages, but it's definitely radically different than anything I've experienced over the past 10 years. Yeah. Well, you, you talked a little about your journey from Israel and the Ministry of Defense type roles that you had, the startup experience in London, and then Super Social. And you're the CEO of Super Social today, having founded the company. But what was, if you will, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the path already, but what was the spark, if you will, or the, the impetus to start Super Social? You know, in a way, the impetus to start Super Social started with my first little entrepreneurial endeavor when I was still in university. I was part of this program called the Zell Entrepreneurship Program, which is a venture creation academic program where you get into in the last year of studies and you know there's a few thousand candidates and only 20, 22 people get in. And that was sort of the opening window for me into the world of, entre- of business entrepreneurship. I, I was always entrepreneurial, but less on the business side. And I started my first kind of venture creation project, which was called FunKit. And with FunKit, this was in 2008, <clears throat> we basically created these custom sneakers for sneakers that kids design online on their own. And then we manufactured the popular designs in the form of sneakers for sneakers, I mean, literally. Now, the commercial viability of the product and the project wasn't something I wanted to continue and pursue. But in a way, it was the beginning of my focus on expression, creativity, digital products, and, and so on and so forth. And how do we take advantage of technology, right? And so in a way, that's when really the journey started that led me all the way to Super Social. And along the way, I started the computer company that I've mentioned, Kano, mm-hmm. in London in 2013. And 2013 was a really interesting year because Minecraft launched in 2012 and exploded pretty much immediately. Now, it wasn't a product for kids. And until today, Minecraft is not just for kids. Minecraft has a major audience uh, of people above age 35, age 40. So Minecraft was, however, a first articulation of what a social creation-based platform looks like that is really showing the way to what young people are going to want to be immersed in and experience and use for not just gameplay, but also creativity, expression, socialization, so forth. So on and so forth. And then Roblox started to pick up in 2015, 2016, even though it was founded in 2008. And then Fortnite Creative arrived in a few years later, 2018, 2019, and enabling a new creative class. So I have seen and have been at the forefront and at a front row seat into those transformations, into those shifts in not only human endeavor and human experience, but also creativity and what mm. is the future of social platforms. And then COVID arrived in early 2020, and I was working on a VR company called Photo. And with COVID arriving, I remember seeing this data point, which was that there is about 2 billion people under age 18 that are out of school and are in their homes because of COVID. And everything I knew and everything I've seen until that, right, all those things that I've just mentioned, suddenly it all clicked. And my immediate reaction, I remember, when I realized what is happening was, this is the catalyst. This is the catalyst that we are now going to potentially see. I took into account that I might be wrong, but my hypothesis was virtual worlds in 3D is going to be the next frontier of the internet. And I mean the consumer internet. It's going to be the next generation of social media. It's going to be the next generation of gaming. It's going to be the next generation of commerce. Not replacing the other ones, not replacing 2D commerce and Shopify or Amazon, not replacing threads, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, so on and so forth, not replacing AAA mobile games. Now, creating a completely new class of 
virtual properties that are inter- at the intersection of that. And when I realized that, and that's the hypothesis I've made, I was, okay, we need to start and we will start on Roblox, which I thought of as the biggest category leader, the most era-defining platform of that new category, right? Right. Virtual, mm-hmm. uh, what I think of as immersive social platforms. And I thought of them as this is the first, this is the first platform that is huge and we, we're going to start there. And, and by the way, just, just for reference, when I say huge, when we started Super Social three years ago, over three years ago, Roblox was 22, about 22 million daily active users. Roblox is now at 66 million daily active users. <laughs> so it was already large. Now it's just gigantic. It's the largest platform by far of that category, serving young people, youth, kids around the world. And, and sort of, it was relatively easy for me to make that leap of faith into a platform like Roblox, mm-hmm. while majority of people, and including people in media and the gaming industry, thought of Roblox, and many still do today, as quote unquote, an app for kids. <laughs> so I'm glad we've, we've made the bet. I, I'm grateful for having the ability to come up with that hypothesis. And, and I think we're very much still in, in the very early stages of that transition. Well, and so I think that's a fascinating timeline too. Just because I I remember Minecraft exploding with my daughter. <laughs> that was my first introduction to it. I was like, "What is this thing?" And but she would spend hours a day on it. Um, and then it it, it did morph qu- pretty quickly into Roblox because she could play with her friends in a much more and play different games, etc. We didn't. I don't think I, maybe she migrated to Fortnite a little bit, but not not as much as Roblox, to be honest which makes makes sense. But like, as you think about super social today, like, how would you describe what you guys do? I mean, there is, this is <laughs> such a great question because there has been such an evolution in the way we define a business of that nature. But the way I, I, I think of super social today is, is really kind of the number one developer, publisher, and operator of premium virtual worlds on, on the world's largest immersive social platforms, right? Roblox mm-hmm. especially, but also Fortnite. And, you know, what we essentially do as a company, we create insanely engaging games and experiences with, you know, superior user experience, which really bring, focus on bringing joy to next generation digital communities. And, and we do that with our own IP and we do that to a growing extent with some of the world's most innovative, largest brands and IP owners. So, well, let's talk a little bit about the quote-unquote metaverse today. And what don't we already know, if you will? I think it's less about what we don't know. Well, first, there is what we don't know and what Mm. I think we're missing. And Mm. so let me start with what I think we don't know. What I think we don't know, and I include myself, is how big this is going to be. I suspect that because of what I'm about to say about the second thing, I suspect it's going to be bigger beyond our imagination. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, it's going to be a trillion dollar value. It's going to be 10 trillion. I leave that to Accenture, McKinsey, the World Bank, and and Bloomberg. (laughs) I'm not sitting around doing charts and assumptions. But here is what I do know, or, or what I think could be true. What I think is true, in my opinion, is that the metaverse is first and foremost about a, a moment in time where a human behavior has shifted. Now, let me explain what, what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. We lived in a world where majority of people on the internet have experienced the internet since the beginning of the internet, let's say late 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Once the Google 
search bar first appeared. Beyond, before that, it was uh, still something that was very niche. Google really opened up more and more possibilities to explore the internet. But since then, and including in mobile, right, with, with the revolution of cloud computing and mobile applications and new smartphone devices like the iPhone, there is a relatively 2D way through which most people, most internet users have been experiencing the internet over the past, let's say, 25 years. And in parallel, we have continued to see the emergence of video games, video games in all sorts of forms, but also video games in 3D, becoming a growing part of how people spend their time, but a very particular set of gamers, kids, and so on and so forth. I'm not talking about casual game. That for me is a very simple 2D experience that will continue to be huge. Mm -hmm. And so what I think when I talk about that transition of human behavior and what prompted us to start Super Social is the understanding that there is a whole generation now, probably two generations, let's call them with words media understands Gen Z and Gen Alpha, right? So essentially anyone born after between, anyone born between 19, let's put it, anyone born between 2000 or after the year 2000, right? Mm -hmm. So anyone below age 25, essentially, those two generations have been born into a smartphone-based world. And more than that, they have been born in many parts of the world into a world that is that has fast internet. And lastly, they have been born in a world where starting 2010, some of the world's largest internet platform for kids and youth have been immersive social platforms, mm. Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft. And so to me, that led to people playing, socializing, and expressing themselves primarily in this platform, which also means that they are primarily representing themselves as a 3D avatar. Mm. It's not just me playing a character. I am right. the character. I right. have a sense of presence in these worlds. And that's why you see people spending billions of dollars on Fortnite Creative on, on skins. And that's why you see one out of five users on Roblox changing their avatar outfit every day, and 50% of the platform changes once a week. We're talking about millions of people who do that every, right. every morning, every day. <laughs> and so that behavior now is starting to be more scaled. So we're already talking about a couple of billion people who are doing it. And these people are going to grow up, mm. right? They right. are anywhere from age five to 25. To mm. And so the question I ask myself is what is going to be true and what will continue to be true 10, 15, 20 years from now is that most likely, they are going to want to continue and interact with the internet in the way that they have experienced it for majority of their youth and their lives. And that would ultimately, in my opinion, impact the way we interact with media, the way we consume inter entertainment, the way we purchase online. And those fundamentals and how these are actually going to look like, I think, are still a TBD. But the scale of it is no, undoubtedly going to be huge. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to call the internet the metaverse. Mm -hmm. We may still call it the internet. But there's no doubt that the internet is evolving into its next iteration. And I think, to me, fundamentally, that is based on the intersection of new technologies and a shift in human behavior. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree with the premise of the shifts in technology and human behavior have to be true to, to actually produce a, a new paradigm, whether we call it the metaverse, whether we call it a new version of the internet, <laughs> whatever we call it it does make sense that those two things and the way you lay it out, I mean, the notion of people changing their virtual selves, look and feel and expressing themselves as those 3D avatars. I mean, that is a big shift. That's a huge shift. Yeah, um, you know, I was asked one time by um, an investment banker, 
I won't name the name of the bank. It was part of a private research they did. And I was asked, Jan, how many people do you think are going to be in the metaverse? <laughs> and I took a second and I said, you know, I think, I think it's going to be something like a hundred billion. And he was like, wait, what? How did you get to a hundred billion? There's no, no, there's not even 10 billion people. Around. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, here's what I think might happen. I might be wrong, but I, I think it might happen that every person in quote unquote, the metaverse would want to have multiple identities because in the metaverse, in virtual worlds, there is no limitation to who I can be. Mm. Now, if I can be anyone, why, why would I want to be one person? I'm already <laughs> one person in real life. And so what if a person has an average of five identities? I choose who I want to be with that community. I choose who I want to be. We already do that to some extent. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm Jan on some platforms. I'm Jonathan on some platform. I'm Lord Yoners on Roblox. I already have that. <laughs> And I have an avatar in Roblox that I'm probably not going to use as my avatar on Instagram. Right. So we already live like that. So now, if you think there is a layer of economy on top of that, and we have average of five identities per person, I mean, it's not that crazy to assume that the world might have these, these next generation of internet economy might have, you know, more than a hundred billion people. Mm. Wow. That's not even including yet, like imagine what happens with AI and we have artificial identities and artificial friends and suddenly you have five your own identities and then you have like, suddenly you have another five or 10 AI friends that are not even real humans, but they are part of the economy. And <laughs> they might be considered in virtual world as a quote unquote person. Yeah, yeah. Man, it, it's making my head explode. But <laughs> what, <laughs> the, the exponential potential there is un, unbelievable. And then, and then you, you really made my head hurt when you were talking about artificial friends. And I was like, wait, but, or AI friends. And I was like, I guess that's true. I mean, we're already starting to see that. I can't remember the the name of the online tool, but it basically is a friend that you can talk to. Oh, Pi? Pi, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. yes. Um, I, I mean, this is just the beginning of those type of... I mean, we don't think of ChatGPT as a friend, but it's essentially is. It, I mean, yeah, if you, basically all is. they need to do is put an avatar face on ChatGPT that you can customize and suddenly it has a personality. Right, right, exactly, exactly. That's pretty funny. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast now. Well, I mean, so what we just talked about too, ChatGPT and Pi, but like, what are some of the most interesting examples of what you're seeing in the metaverse today? I mean, there's there's just so many different things and experiments happening. Obviously, I spend majority of my time on the Roblox platform, mm. which I think is a era-defining platform and a category leader in the space, as I've mentioned. And And I think on the Roblox platform, what we're seeing is first and foremost that the core UGC pillar of the platform, meaning anyone can create an experience, is becoming more and more, even more accessible. So you see a growing number of creators on the platform, mm. even though majority of the platform, like any sort of two-sided marketplace, majority of the platform users are just consuming experiences and interacting and socializing, and that's okay. But we're definitely seeing a growing number of creators. If it's creation of avatar goods or creation of actual games or different entertainment experiences, and so that that's part of why I'm continuing to be very bullish about the Roblox platform, which is mm. something that I think a lot of people underappreciate. Which is there is a 
a developer ecosystem that is incredibly committed, passionate, and excited about the Roblox platform. And that is a that is a very challenging thing to create. Mm-hmm. And so that's that continues to be a, a phenomena that I think is is just absolutely incredible and also underappreciated. Yeah. The other thing I see is the we're moving kind of to the second generation of branded games and branded experiences on the Roblox platform. Obviously, Super Social is the leading developer and publisher of premium virtual world play a key role in that evolution, I believe, or I'd like to think, and really introducing the Roblox community and the Roblox audience to brands, but in a more authentic way. We, while I don't, while I continue to think that there will be sort of light touch branded experiences, brand worlds, and so on and so forth, I do believe that the the bigger opportunity, the one that we get excited about more is how do we tap into the Roblox community and the and its audience by bringing brands, but doing so in a way that where you build true, engaging, or as we like to think, insanely engaging, meaningful and authentic experiences on the Roblox platform that reimagine what the brand means for this next generation digital communities. Yeah, mm. it's, it's not about, I, I think we've seen a V1, it's first generation of these experiences, which I call kind of the yellow pages stage. It's like, oh, we have a brand. Let's put the brand on Roblox and just splash it. Right. right no. Right. I think in the V in the second generation now, we're seeing the evolution of that. I mean, we had two major successes with, with, with brands on the Roblox platform. We, uh, with, with the same company, actually, we, with Nars Cosmetics, which is a prestige beauty brand. We launched Nars Color Quest last year, which is essentially still the number one branded beauty game world on the Roblox platform, generated incredible numbers, more than 42 million play sessions with great ratings and reviews from the community. And then we launched and um, just just recently Nar Sweet Rush, which was our second game world with a cosmetics brand uh, of their nature on the Roblox platform. Again, with staggering numbers and reception from the community. And I think now you might ask yourself, why would a prestige beauty brand launch something on a platform like Roblox? And right. and I think the answer is is because there are some brands, and they have been at the forefront of that. There are some brands who uh, truly understand that this is the next generation of consumers. And you, in this next generation of how people are going to interact and follow their loved brands, we need to be in a place where we can build and sustain relationships and nurture the, the relationships with, with those new digital communities. And more than that, realizing that there is an opportunity to find new and experiment with new business models around virtual economy and virtual goods. And so that is really what we're starting to see now that I'm very excited about, which is the, the second generation of, of brands and IP owners coming into the Roblox platform. And I think we are still very early. And I think while the intersection of social media, e-commerce and gaming is what I believe ultimately we'll see in the next five to 10 years, we're still very much talking about gaming and social experience with commerce really being more focused on virtual goods and virtual items. Mm-hmm. But I think that will evolve in the next three to five years, I believe, in platforms like Roblox, like Fortnite, essentially allowing people to purchase real goods from within these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think it's that crazy to suspect that that would happen. That's the second thing I mean, I, I'm seeing that is very interesting. And then the last thing I'm seeing that, again, part of why we started the company and focusing initially on the Roblox platform, which is that the creativity and the ability to build world-class uh, almost like premium quality multiplayer worlds, experiences, games is no longer something that you need five years of development and, and, and mul- millions of millions of dollars in investment. You can do that today at a faster pace with a smaller investment 
and for a whole different audience that may not want to access those AAA games on PC and, and, and gaming consoles. Again, it's not replacing, it's creating a new class of experiences. And this is something that I think is fundamental because if you think about the video game industry, which is, you know, as we know, largest, larger than Hollywood and the music industry combined, if you think about that industry, we started with consoles and then PC and everyone thought, oh, PC is going to kill console. And it didn't, it added, right? right. And then if you think about uh, what happened later, which is mobile. Mobile didn't kill PC gaming and, and, and right. console. It's much, much bigger, but it didn't eliminate it. And unlike other mediums of entertainment, think about it. Gaming is really the only one where there is there is new forms, new modalities of experience, new content mediums, but they are not disrupting the previous one. They're building on it. Mm. And that is very unique, I think, dynamics in, in the industry of gaming that you really don't have in other industries. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. You're right. Most, most other industries evolve and the prior version is, is eroded or destroyed over time. I haven't thought about it like that. That's pretty interesting. So, I mean, you talked about a number of different ways from first gen to second gen to like where the, where you think it's going to go in terms of actually being able to purchase physical or real goods in the future. How do you think about, or like, how would you advise brands or advertisers to get in? To, to start, maybe, is the best way to think about it. Well, I think it starts with first understanding why this is of strategic importance to, to you as a brand. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about understanding that you're not going to get it perfect and you want to make sure it's tied to your overall objectives as a company, as a brand. You want to understand that this is still being, this is still a category that is being defined. And so there needs to be an experimental mindset and as such, you need to understand what is the level of risk and level of investment you're willing to make. And you need to understand that there is only advantages by being there early and learning because the, the, the learning is in the doing. You're not going to learn just by sitting around reading research reports from McKinsey. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> uh, that's okay. It's great for a flight if, you wanna, if you're an executive. That's great. But the real learning is going to be in, in putting your money where your mouth is, going, experimenting, prototyping, and ultimately... I think also understanding that this is a completely new realm and you want to make sure that you work with the right partners to get the best learnings and identifying who is the right partner for those experiments for certain platforms and who is really the organizations and the certain people that can help you navigate through and distinct between the hype and what's real and mm-hmm. making sure that they can help you as a brand and as an executive to tie those experiments into wider business objectives that is really, really important. And so, and ultimately just, just do it, you know, figure out a way to get it, to get going, to experiment, to build. There's no better way at the moment than building and experimenting. And I think every brand need to put themselves in a position where they put themselves in front of these communities and figure out what is the right way, what is the right experiences, what are the right products that we're building that will allow us to be relevant in this growing space and how it fits our overarching strategy. And I genuinely believe that over the next three to five years, we'll see majority of consumer, of major consumer companies, major consumer segments and beyond consumer even, uh, having some form of presence, experimentation, representation in these emerging platforms. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to to watch from the outside looking <laughs> looking in in terms of the brands that are trying to dabble and experiment. And I do think you know you mentioned your success you've seen with like uh, Nars Cosmetics. It does seem right now to 
to benefit most from an enrichment and like organic, authentic way, the beauty and fashion components. But even like insurance providers are trying to get in as well, either through traditional traditional means and in, in new virtual worlds like sponsorships and, and things like that. I can only imagine the future of one day, you know, protecting your world that you've built through buying a virtual insurance (laughs) 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 or or transacting with uh the transaction card of choice right and uh you know thinking about credit cards and premium cards versus rewards cards i I could see transactions happening in that way too it's pretty interesting um i'm curious to see how this thing evolves what is how do you think about success like if if i'm a brand or advertiser and i'm getting in in some form or fashion, I've addressed the things that you've laid out, like tying it to my objectives of brand, having that experimental mindset and kind of like learning by by doing. What would you think about like the critical success factors or, or how to characterize what success should look like? Well, I think in, in most cases, we are looking at three key KPIs at the moment that I think mm-hmm. are just the most important across the board. The first one is reach, how many people really we are able to connect with. Let's, yeah. let's think of it as the volume, right? That's the, the, the first KPI that, that brands and businesses care about at the moment. The second one, because it's so early, you want to make sure that you're able to connect with a wide audience. The second one is engagement. Once you reach people, it's the second most important thing becomes, okay, how many people we're actually engaging with on a meaningful level? How many people coming to our experiences and our worlds? What are they doing there? How much time they're spending there? Either coming back, how often they are coming back. And, and again, that's why it's important that it's a meaningful experience. It's fun. It's engaging. You want, you're building it so people can be there, mm. right? No one is throwing a party because they want it to be empty. Right. right. And the third one is monetization, mm. which is the level of experimentation around business models, around virtual goods, in-game purchases, and so on and so forth, which is, again, still at a very early stage, and, and that's okay, but that's definitely still one of the three things that we pursue with every partner world that we're building to make sure that while it's still a lower priority, it's part of the mix and it's important that we build those monetization mechanics in a, in a meaningful way and experiment and see where does it lead us and what can we learn from it for the future. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, this is, this is a world to, pun intended, I guess, to keep monitoring <laughs> and, uh, and to keep experimenting around. I appreciate you breaking down how to think about it and where you think the evolution is going to go. One of the things we like to do on the show is get to know you a little bit better. And my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Is there are probably, there's probably like one really good example. I mean, there are many examples, but I'll pick one. The one example from, from a definitely that I would say define the way I approach my entrepreneurial journey is, is what happened at the beginning of COVID. Mm. I was working on a previous company with, with my co-founders at SuperSocial, a company called Kodo Interactive. With Kodo, we had a vision of building uh, digital content that is consumed and interacted with through VR devices, and, but in a way that it's about inspiring young people to interact with media through VR in a way that teaches them about the world of technology and, and that is gamified, that, that is mm. fun and engaging. And doing so in a, in a physical space that brings it all together in an even more immersive manner. Think about mm-hmm. it like a combination of adv- advanced technologies like VR, but also immersive physical spaces where you feel like you're in that world, not just through VR, but also physically. 
And we believe that that sort of location-based experiences is, is going to be a big frontier. You know, I'm a big fan of Meow Wolf, things like that. And then COVID arrives. And as an entrepreneur and as a CEO, I realized that this is, this is going to stay for quite a while. No one right. knew how long, but I thought, okay, like things are definitely not going to continue the same way. And we were a small, uh, a fragile company, early stage startup. We're not a multi-billion dollar company that, you know, we can survive this. We're very much a small emerging company, about 15 people full time. And within five days, I had to pivot the company from what we did right prior to launching our first experience and pivot it to something digital. Mm. And, and, so, and, and so two things happened that I realized. One, we can't continue and I need to move us as fast as possible into what does make sense. And then the second thing that happened, I embarked with my core team on a journey of identifying what is going to be the right direction for the company, the overall strategy, which ultimately mm. led me to realize that hypothesis that I started with the conversation today, which was that virtual worlds in 3D is going to be the next frontier of the consumer internet and we need to be there. And that was the hypothesis that led us to start Super Social. And all of that happened, that transition and pivoting and ultimately deciding to start a whole new different company, hmm. all of that happened in about 30 to 45 days. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of, I think, a great example that defines how I approach things and, 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 and a journey that I'm proud of as an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, I mean, I can, I, as you describe it and thinking about, you know, just the, the pressure, both time pressure and business pressure and societal pressure that was going on during that time. I mean, it was, it must have both not only been enlightening in the ways you described, but also forged your relationships even further with the, with your partners and your team. I can only imagine. A hundred percent. And you know, it's been, it's been the journey of being an entrepreneur you're really learning about who you are as an entrepreneur in these type of moments. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm definitely grateful for is having the ability, the, the, the mental ability, the intellectual ability, the bravery, so to speak, to look at reality in the face and act. Uh, and I'm very much a person that is biased towards action. And my initial reaction is always to act. And I, I think that's what that defines me among many other things, many, many other things potentially, but the ability to just act, make a decision, and especially do this in times of adversity, that is definitely a key criteria, I would say, of my personality as, as, a, as a founder and as an entrepreneur. Gotcha. Well, if you were starting this journey of life and entrepreneurship and business all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say the advice I would give the, my younger self would be that perfect is the enemy of great and you don't need to try and get everything perfect. Just put yourself in positions of doing, put yourself in position of learning and, and, and just do it. You know, mm -hmm. trust your instinct, trust your gut feeling. I know it's uh, an unscientific thing to, to pursue, but there is something in our gut feeling that feels right. And I think it's not, just an instinct. I think these are instincts that are based on experiences and things that we've seen and have learned, not things that we've read that can complement, but things that we've been doing actually. And over the past decade of my journey as a founder and an entrepreneur, I, I've, I'm grateful to have been able to go through so many different experiences that ultimately increase the chances that my instinct and my reaction to things and the actions I take are 
are going to be the, the right ones and, and no one is going to know if they're the right ones, right? I think Steve Jobs said you can only connect the dots looking backwards, but you want to be able to connect the dots and the dots are going to be things that you accumulate along the way, experiences, decisions. So my, my best advice to my younger self would be just keep doing, keep making decisions. If you don't do, you don't make mistakes and making mistakes is good because that's how you learn. Yeah, I love that. Well, this question, what one topic do you think marketers need to be learning more about or maybe something you're trying to learn more about? Um, it may be a tee up just to talk about what we just talked about, which is 3D immersive worlds. But I'll ask the question, what do you think marketers should be learning more about? I think the most important thing at the moment is to be careful with how, how much you rely on, on technology. Mm-hmm. versus how much you rely on what people do with technology. I come from liberal arts and so I've always thought of technology as an enabler. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I'm not excited or fascinated with technology just for the sake of technology. When I look at technology the first question I ask myself always is what if? Right. What can we do with it? Why would it matter? How do we move? Mm-hmm. How do we make an impact on people's lives? I think that's the beauty of technology. And everything, I mean, a lot of things around us are technologies now, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think as marketers, what I would encourage people to think about is going deep, go beyond the the base information, beyond the hype. When you see rest in peace metaverse on an article, don't take that seriously, as well as the metaverse is here. Don't take that seriously either, right? And I think the best way to understand these terminologies, these words, these terms, these technologies is to, again, going back to what I said earlier, which is put yourself in places where you, in positions where you can learn, where you can do, and you can extract those learning to form your own point of view. And the only way to do that is by doing. Uh, and so it's okay to read. It's okay to be immersed in articles and research reports and so on and so forth. The best way to learn is going to be by putting your money where your mouth is putting action into these spaces and really learning by interacting with these technologies and testing different things that they are able to do for your brand, for your communities, and then form your approach to the wider direction you want to take. I mean, one thing I wholly love about what you just said, I mean, I I like everything you said, but the one thing I'd underline a number of times is you said, pay attention to what people do with technology, not the technology itself. And I think at the outset of this interview, people will be listening to, they'll think metaverse, oh, they're going to talk about all the fringe things that are out there. And it seems like there's a new technology every day that's enabling brands to think about how they might build a world. But the focus, a lot of what we've been talking about are platforms where people already are, you know, Roblox, uh, Fortnite, et cetera. And there's millions of them already there. Um, and I, I think I think that's a really wise advice to focus on what people are doing with the technology and not chasing the technology. Um, so that's amazing. Well, one, two more questions uh, as we wrap up here. Uh, are there any trends or subcultures uh, that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Doesn't have to be related to the metaverse, but just thought I'd ask. There's anything you're you're monitoring or, or curious about? Yeah, the other piece, the other major piece that I'm really attracted and and fascinated by, and definitely follow, and and it's in a way that is also relevant to what we do every yeah. day as a company, 
The first one is, of course, the ongoing conversation and shift from centralized platform to more open user-owned platforms. I think that I don't believe in a world that that is a maximalist world where everything needs to be open and everything that was was built needs to be destroyed and dismantled and all the centralized platform have ruined it. I'm not a maximalist of that, but I do believe in the promise of a user and a more egalitarian internet, not equal necessarily. I think equal should be in the ability to have access to opportunities, but I do believe that a user-owned internet and where platforms are more interoperable, more collaborative, where we can actually own our data and take our data and digital assets with us wherever we go. I think that is a huge, huge, huge promise that I'm, I really believe in in the long term. I think it's going to just take a long time and TBD what play, what role, you know, blockchain plays, not necessarily mm-hmm. crypto, but blockchain as a technology, I think is interesting in that sense. Can it be really the enabler of a user-owned uh, internet? And so that is one area that I think is really important. And I'm very excited to see progresses over the years. And uh, the second area is the intersection of the internet as we know it today, even with, with its evolution into a 3D modality, but the relationship between a, a human-enabled internet experience and, and how AI is integrated into that. And I think we're at a very, very early stage of figuring that out. What are the boundaries? What do we want AI to do? How are we going to govern AI? How do we use AI to extend human ingenuity and expression and not replace? Um, Again, I'm not a maximalist of AI. I am a pragmatic when it comes to how AI is going to come in. And I also choose to be deterministically optimistic person, uh, both on the user-owned internet and how that can come into life and also with the role that AI can have. And I... I hope that there will be more uh, good players than bad players when it comes to how do we use and take advantage of technologies like blockchain and AI to a, ultimately create a next iteration of the internet that is 10 times, 100 times better than the internet we had. Because with all the minuses of the existing internet, it also created a lot of good and a lot of opportunities and definitely changed the world forever. And I think the centralized tech like blockchain and AI is definitely going to add to what the internet is going to look like. And, and I think alongside that transition to a 3D internet virtual world, I think those three things together really comprise, uh, I believe, the, the three biggest uh, trends that are happening in, in the world of in the internet. Got it. Last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Well, the largest threat is really to not put yourself in positions of learning and doing. (laughs) And I think I like to think about threats and opportunities. And I do believe in that, even though it sounds might sound a bit like a cliche, but I believe that no one prevents prevents you from being the best at what you do. No one prevents a brand from being the best brand, the best and most attractive brand in the world. No one prevents you as a marketer of being the best marketer, the most creative marketer. There's just no one. You own your time, your you know, I, I remember this quote, I think I have it in my bathroom. You're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. I mean, no one prevents you from being number one. It's all about the work you do, putting yourself in positions to learn, to grow, to experiment and take your, the brand you work for or you work with on that journey with you. No one prevents you from doing so. And so that's why for me, there is no threat or, or danger aside of not being able to put yourself in that position lack of curiosity, lack of experimentation, ignorance, all of those things, these are the things that I think killed Kodak, 
right? And other B companies. And so I mm-hmm. think as a brand, we live in extraordinary times. You know, I think we live in the most extraordinary times, potentially in the last 50 years when it comes to so many things are happening at the same time. There's also so many challenges. Uh, but in, in times of challenge, and there's so many technologies that are taking our attention, there's never been a better time to also use those as a catalyst for creating the brand you want to create and, and ultimately shape the voice and the tribe that you want to have. And I think that's where we live now. And that's the approach that I, I would encourage people to take. Well, Jan, it's been a fascinating conversation. We've gone, uh, we've covered so many topics from technology to, to the human condition. I, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's been a lot of fun. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact... If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand... You need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.